Good morning and welcome to worship at First Church of New Knoxville. We're doing things a little bit different today. So if you are here with us at the park, we're really glad that you decided to join us on this beautiful Sunday morning. And for those of you who are listening on the radio, we're grateful that you are are tuning in and joining us for worship this morning. If you're here and if you're able to stand, I invite you to stand with us for our call to worship as we begin our service this morning. Our call to worship is taken from Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech, and night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that we have the opportunity to to gather here in your creation uh, and worship you this morning. Thank you for the beauty and the way that creation uh, reveals your glory and your majesty. And we get an opportunity to enjoy that as we gather together as your people to worship you. So now as we lift our voices together in song, may you be blessed, Lord, by the, by the proclamation of, of your praise and, and, and your worship by your people. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
the opportunity to worship outdoors and enjoy your creation, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence this morning. We give you all the honor, glory, and praise, not only this day, but every day, Lord. We are not always deserving of your many blessings, but we can accept them as your loving gift, Lord. May your praise be on our lips forever and ever. Father, you are all-powerful and in control of all things. Help us all be reminded that we are to just trust and obey you and your word, and you will guide our paths. So thank you for this simple promise, Lord. Father, we're reminded each week of the many folks in our church and our community, as well as the many people in this world that need your comfort, healing, and strengthening. Only you, Lord, can provide the true comfort, true healing, and true strengthening that these people need. Please continue to provide for their needs, Lord. And Father, we also take this opportunity to pray for our brothers and sisters in other churches 
that have recently made the decision to leave a denomination that they've been a part of for many, many years. We pray for all these churches and thank you for providing them with the courage to stand on your truth of your word, Lord. Please continue to provide them wisdom, discernment, and guidance as they continue to move forward as fellow believers in the building up of your church. Father, we also pray for this country and the leaders of this country. Our nation is experiencing a time of great division and a time of much untruth, many lies and deception. But Lord, we know that your truth will prevail. Help us all focus on your word and the truth of your word, Lord. And we ask that your hand would be involved in placing godly people in leadership positions in this great country of ours. Lord, most importantly, we give you praise and thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to shed his blood and die for our sins. Thank you for the free gift of salvation. It is not something we earn. It's simply a gift that we receive by acknowledging that we're sinners and in need of our Savior Jesus. If we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he was resurrected, we will be saved and receive eternal life. If you haven't accepted this free gift, now is the time. So, Father, thank you for this ultimate sacrifice you made. And we pray all of this in the glorious and holy name of Jesus Christ as we join together in the prayer that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now will the the children please come forward and join Maria. All right, we're going over here. There's way too many things up there for you little people. We're going to, can you all just sit down in the grass right here? All right, you can do that. All right. How are we doing today? Good. What do you think of this being outside at the park for church? Do you like it? Yeah? You like it? It's nice and warm, but we got a breeze blowing. It's going to be a great day. All right, so can anybody tell me, what is tomorrow? Your birthday? Dude, we share the same birthday. I wish I could be your age. No, maybe not. What is tomorrow, Emma? Labor Day. What does that mean? Why do, why, why do we celebrate Labor Day? What does it mean to labor? A laborer is someone who works. Okay. If you work, raise your hand. Wow. We have a lot of people here who don't think they work. How many of you go to school? How many of you have to pick up toys? How many of you have chores to do at home? Yep. You're working. You're working. Yeah, you're working. So I brought a couple things with me this morning. What do we have here? Where do we get a tomato from? Whose garden? Maybe mine. Okay, but I don't, let's pretend I don't have a garden. And I live in town, in a big city. Where would I get my tomato from? Well, where did the store get it from? From the farmer. Girlfriend, look around. There are lots of farms out here. Okay? There are lots of farms around here. And one thing, since we brought it up, remember, if there weren't farmers, you would be very hungry. All right, moving on. What do we have here? 
an unsharpened pencil with a good eraser on it. All right. Where'd this come from? Ooh, we're getting good now. It came from a tree. Did all of it come from a tree? Not the lead, not the funky wrap on the outside. But, but, so, but how did this pencil get to be a pencil? Somebody had to work to make it. Exactly. Somebody had to harvest the wood, work it all together, and turn it into a pencil. And they worked in a factory. And then how do you think this pencil got from the factory to the store? Somebody had to drive it. Okay, then how did it get from the truck onto the shelf? Somebody had to stock it. Are all of those jobs? Yes, they are. Those people all have jobs. And we celebrate Labor Day to remember and to thank the people who work. Okay, so are we celebrating tomorrow? Yes. You don't have school tomorrow. That's why you have tomorrow off. Because your job right now is to go to school and to learn and to work and to be kind and to share Jesus with those around you. Okay? It tells us in Genesis. Remember, that's the very first book of the Bible where Jesus, where God made the whole world. And he said in Genesis 1.28, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This idea of working is part of the way God made us to be. He designed us, our minds and our bodies, to be able to work, to be able to make things and do things. Okay? God made us to work. Okay? In Proverbs it says, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk only leads to, leads to poverty. This is the way our world works. Working hard will make your life easier and allow you to help others even more. But if you just talk about it and you don't do anything, are you helping other people? No, you're not. You're not helping other people. You want to be a doer and a worker, okay? And you want to do it for God, okay? In Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So when you go to school and you work hard, you're doing it for God. Do it for God. Do your best because we always want to do our best for God. All right, let's bow our head for a quick prayer. Father God, thank you for making us all do some kind of work so that we can be helpful to other people. Help us to know that you want each of us, help us to know what you want each of us to do for our work. Help us to do it to the best of our ability. In your name we pray. Amen. Enjoy tomorrow, guys. Amen. You guys can head back to your seats. Thank you, Maria. That's a good reminder for all of us, right, that work is a good thing, and we can certainly honor God with our work and, and the product of those things. And one of the ways that we can honor him with the product of our work is by giving back to him uh, for the ministry of his work and the advancement of his kingdom, and that's what we're going to have an opportunity to do right now. Our deacons are going to collect an offering this morning, and it's going to go to support our general fund, um, as it typically does on the first Sunday of every month. And so... Um, I know deacons, we don't have your sections aren't exactly intact today, but hopefully you'll be able to catch everybody and feel free to give as you feel led to give this morning. Our praise team is going gonna, is gonna to sing Leaning this morning. The words are not in your bulletin, but if you know the song, feel free to join in and worship with us.
standing as we read today's scripture, which comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not finally be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when we meet together, it will not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. There's always something, right? (laughs) Well, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people in this place. And thank you that we can hear your word uh, sung and and read and now studied together. I pray, Lord God, that as we do this this morning, that you would be honored in all that we do. And that as we study your word, as we take time this morning to reflect on it, that you would be glorified and that your Holy Spirit would work in us and through us for your glory and for our good. May your Holy Spirit open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And may you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, this morning, I'm really excited to... uh, Again, to be out here and to, to share God's word with you uh, and to um, have the opportunity to, to continue to study in 1 Corinthians. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to be talking about communion, and we're going to have an opportunity to share communion together as a church family um, here in this place. And so what we want to do this morning is take time to reflect on that. 
And so we're going to, I'm going to kind of pick up on something that we talked about last week. If you were with us in church last Sunday and we preached from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you know that uh, one of the things that uh, Paul was dealing with in the Corinthian church was divisions and disunity. And as he picks up here in 1 Corinthians 11 to begin to talk about the Lord's Supper, he, he picks up on that they're allowing that, those divisions and that disunity to carry over into how they are uh, practicing the Lord's Supper, and they're letting it affect how they worship the Lord when they gather as one body in that place. And so today we're going we're gonna to talk about communion. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper and why we do what we do and make sure that our our hearts and our minds in the right place so we don't fall into those same errors that the Corinthian church was falling into and that Paul needed to address. And so the first thing we should notice here in this passage is that there is there, the Corinthian church was abusing the Lord's Supper because of their disunity and their selfishness. So when they came together, they were, um, they were not taking time to take the Lord's Supper together. And that's important to recognize that they would do things a little bit differently than we do today, right? When we take the Lord's Supper, it's, a, uh, it's more of a memorial meal, right? We have a small piece of bread. We have a small cup of juice. And, and that's what we take as a way to participate in the Lord's Supper. But in that time, they didn't, they didn't do it that way. They would share a meal together, which is one of the things I think it's wonderful about what we're doing today. We're, we're gathering here for worship in the park, and we're going to have a meal together afterwards for fellowship and to kick off the new Sunday school year. And so in a way, we're kind of doing that just like the Corinthian church and many of the early churches would do. They would gather together for a meal, and then as part of that meal, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper and remember what Jesus had done for them. In fact, Allie grew up in a Grace Brethren church, and that was how they would do communion as well. A couple times a year, they'd gather as a church family for a meal, and it was part of that meal that they would then remember uh, what Jesus had done for them and why it was so important. And so just imagine that that's how the Corinthian church did things, right? They would gather together for a meal, but some people would show up early, and some people would get there late. And those that were showing up early would go ahead and start eating and not leave any food or anything for the people that came later. Yesterday, when there was a group of us that brought some things over here to the church, and, or excuse me, to the, to the park from the church. And Keith was asking me, he said, now there's going to be all that food in the shelter house, right, during the service. Now, is it all right if I just go ahead and start eating while the church service is going on? I said, if you do, you're going to be a perfect example of the issue that was going on in Corinth, right? They were going ahead with the meal. They were eating and not waiting for everybody else to show up. And so it was causing disunity, right? They were not coming together as one body to share in the Lord's Supper. They were all doing their own thing. And not only were they was there divisions and disunity, but then there was selfishness because they were then eating more and more and not leaving enough for others. It's one thing to start eating early. It's another thing entirely to then go ahead and eat it so there's none left for the others to participate in. And so you can imagine the scene going on in the Corinthian church, right? There was disunity over the practice of the Lord's Supper, and it was causing divisions within the church. And so Paul is writing to address them. Now, I mentioned that we don't do things that way now, do we, right? We we don't have a meal besides today. When we take communion, we do it together at the Lord's Supper as part of the service. So we have a different set of challenges, but we can also struggle uh, with understanding and, and approaching the Lord's table in the way that we should. And so I want to just share with you some of the common uh, abuses I think that we often, uh, we often struggle with when we t- come to the Lord's table. And I'm not saying this as a way to um, point a finger at anybody else, these are things that I struggle with at times and things that, that I need to check myself with when I'm coming to the Lord's table. So sometimes we come to the Lord's table with a wrong understanding of why we do it, right? And that's one of the things that Paul's going to address here in just a moment is what communion is and why we approach the Lord's table the way that we do. It points us to the, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But sometimes when we take communion, that's not the thing we're thinking about. And that's not on our minds as we're coming to the table. And so we may approach the table in a wrong way as well. Sometimes we do it because of peer pressure, right? So when we take communion, we see the plate being passed or we see people coming forward. And we may not be in the right state of mind or the right heart, the right relationship with the Lord, but we see everybody else doing it. 
And so we want to jump in and do it too. Sometimes we feel that peer pressure to, to participate, even if we know that we shouldn't, or even if we know we're not in the right position to do so, we jump in line because we see other people doing it as well. Sometimes we rush through it. And I know I'm guilty of this as well, and here I am checking my, my clock because I want to make sure we have the appropriate amount of time for communion at the end of the service. But sometimes we approach the Lord's table in such a rushed manner, we're just trying to, to get through the line and get through it so that the service ends on time or so that we can get to Sunday school when Sunday school starts. And so we approach the table of the Lord just in a, in a rush to get it over with. And again, that's not understanding or approaching it in the right way. Sometimes we approach the Lord's table uh, kind of like with, with emotionalism in mind. We, we approach the table trying to get that spiritual high that we feel. We want to feel good about ourselves and our relationship with God. And so we come to the Lord's table just hoping that we're going to get that feeling like we did last time we were at the table. But again, when we let our feelings control us, when we make that our number one priority, we're missing the point of remembering what Jesus has done for us. And sometimes we do it in a very individualistic manner as well. Sometimes we take communion and it's just, it's just me and Jesus and that's it. We don't think about the other people around us. I mean, take a moment and just look around right now. We are gathered here at the park and we're worshiping together, but we have dozens and dozens of brothers and sisters in Christ that we are worshiping with, that we have an opportunity to, to worship with and to take that Lord's Supper together with. And so, yes, it is a, important to have that individual relationship with the Lord, to have your heart set on what is most important. But it's also important to recognize that we do it as a body of believers, that we do it with brothers and sisters in Christ coming to the table together. You see, the, the table is meant to be where, where the Corinthian church was struggling with disunity and selfishness. The table is a place that is supposed to be a, a unifying factor and a humbling experience. You see, when we come to the table of the Lord, we don't come to it uh, based, on our own, um, based on our own achievements or our own attributes or our own character. We come to it as sinners in need of a Savior. And so when we come to the table of the Lord, everybody is, is coming to the table at the same, in the same state and in the same way. Sinners in need of a Savior. So it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a company or, or a homeless person. It doesn't matter if you have been a part of this church your entire life or you're just coming in off the street. Everybody is welcome at the Lord's table because we all come to it in the same state and in the same position as people desperately in need of God's grace. Galatians 3, 28 through 29 talks about how there is in Christ Jesus, there is no longer Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that those distinctions aren't real or they don't matter. They do. They're God-given distinctions. But what that passage means is that those distinctions do not make you any more or any less acceptable to God, whether you're Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. Every person is given that same opportunity to respond to God's grace, to accept his salvation, and to experience his presence in communion as you come to the table together. That is a unifying factor. That is a humbling experience, too, because it means that we need to recognize our need for the Lord. It means that when we come to the table, we, we acknowledge that we need him and that we cannot save ourselves. And so Paul here in the first part of the passage addresses the, the issues that the Corinthian church is dealing with. And, and although we might not be able to rate, relate directly, we also sometimes misuse the table of the Lord, don't we? Because we have the wrong attitude or the wrong understanding or we're just going through the motions. So we need to check ourselves before we come to the table too. And that's why Paul then goes on to tell the Corinthian church what communion is all about. And I, th I hope those words that Brad read for you were familiar. That middle section of the passage are the words that I say every Sunday that we take communion together. As I pray over the, the bread and the cup, those words from 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul is communicating what communion is all about. See, when we take communion together, it's about pointing us to the gospel. It's about understanding who Jesus is and what he has done for us. 
And so Paul says that first and foremost that it's Jesus who gave us those instructions. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared a Passover meal with his disciples. And it was then and there that he told them about the bread and the cup. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he also took the cup, the wine that was at the table, and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See, Jesus was reminding them he was making a connection with with God's salvation out of Egypt, right? He had rescued his people from Pharaoh and from slavery and through the Red Sea and eventually into the promised land. And through Jesus's body broken for us on the cross, through his blood shed for us, we too are set free, not from slavery in Egypt, but set free from slavery to sin, set free from the, the penalty that our sin deserves. And so through Christ, we are set free. And communion is a reminder of that. Twice, twice uh, Paul says, do this in remembrance of me, quoting Jesus' words at the Last Supper. Right? When we do this, we are coming to the table and we are remembering what Jesus has done for us. First and foremost, that is what we need to do, is remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So as we approach the table, we, we set aside distractions. We, we quit thinking about our shopping list or, or the, the dinner that we need to make later or the things that we need to do when we get home. Right? We set aside those distractions and keep our focus on Jesus where it belongs. And I know that's hard. I know that's difficult. Sometimes life is busy and overwhelming and, and it's frustrating and you got, you're anxious about what's going on at home or at work or with your kids But this is an opportunity to set those things aside. Not that those things aren't important, but to focus on what is most important and allow Jesus to meet you there. And the third thing that Paul says here, he says that that when we take communion, it's a proclamation of the gospel. He says you proclaim the gospel until he comes. Every time we take that bread and every time we take that cup, we are telling ourselves once again, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We are proclaiming the gospel. We are, we are teaching ourselves over and over and over again, exactly the price that God paid in order to save us and redeem us. But again, this isn't just an individual thing. It's a, it's a communal exercise. And so we are also telling our brothers and sisters in Christ what Jesus has done for us. When we come to the table together, we are teaching ourselves. We are reminding each other of the good news of the gospel. And I also believe that when we gather together as God's people, when we keep our focus on Jesus, it's also an opportunity for us to proclaim to the world who Jesus is and what he's done for us. When we make Jesus our number one priority, when we put him at the center of our lives as individuals and as a church, there's a watching world that sees that. It sees the difference that it makes in our lives. It sees the difference that our our priorities make. And it's a way for us to to be a a living example, a light shining for the world to see. So we also, we teach ourselves the gospel. We proclaim it to each other, but then we also proclaim it to a world that desperately needs to hear it. And so we need to take a few minutes and reflect on how, whoa, uh uh-oh. Words is going? All right. We also need to make sure that we are approaching the table of the Lord appropriately. And the phrase that that comes to my mind is, is serious joy. We need to approach the table of the Lord with serious joy this morning. And the way that we do that is, is it's, we understand the seriousness of what we're doing, that Jesus died for us in order to rescue us from our sin. That is a price that none of us could pay for ourselves. It's a price that, that if, if left to our own devices, none of us would be able to do anything about. But because of Jesus, he paid the price for us. He, he bridged that infinite gap between a sinful people and a holy God. And he did so by dying on the cross for you and for me. And so there's a seriousness in that. We, when we come to the table, we should not forget what Jesus has done for us. And so we approach it with seriousness and, and, and understanding 
all of those things that we just talked about. But if we truly understand just how serious this is, if we truly understand what Jesus did for us, then it's not somber, right? It's not a, it's not a sad kind of seriousness. It's a joyful seriousness. It is in thanksgiving and gratitude and praise because Jesus is the Savior that we need. That even though we are sinners and we are lost, Jesus reaches down and lifts us up out of the pit and he places us on a firm foundation, right? That's exciting, isn't it? That's, that is something worth rejoicing over. And so we come to the table in full understanding of our, of our sinful nature and our need to confess and repent. But in that moment, Jesus meets us and reminds us that he loves us. He reminds us of the price that he paid for us. And he reminds us that he did it willingly in order to save you and to save me. That's the gospel, right? That's what we do. And that is worth rejoicing over, isn't it? And so we approach the table with serious joy. There's a, there's a word here in that last section. It says, it, it's repeated twice. And to be completely honest, I never even noticed this before. I walked down the hall to, to Pastor Tori's office this week, and I said, I never, never even realized this. There's this word discern, discerned is in there twice. It's the same word, and, and the word means to, to understand or to, to examine or, or to reflect on, right? It's to have an understanding of something. And Paul says there's two things that we need to discern when we approach the table of the Lord. We need to discern the body, which means that we need to understand what communion is all about and who Jesus is and what he's done for us, right? All those things that we just talked about right there, that Jesus is our Savior and he paid the ultimate price for you and for me. So we need to discern the body. We need to examine and understand and, and uh, confirm in our own heart and our own mind who Jesus is as we approach the table. But then it also says that we need to discern ourselves. We need to discern our own need for God. You see, when we approach the table, we are acknowledging, we are confessing that we are sinners and that we cannot save ourselves. And so we need to have a time where we, where we discern that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus is the Savior that we need. And when we take time to do that in the, in the serious joy that God provides, then and only then are we able to approach the table in the right way. And we're going to have a moment to do that here in just a second. But there's one thing I do want to just clarify too. Notice, notice, what, notice what is not talked about here in this passage. When it talks about approaching the table properly and, and in a way that honors the Lord, discerning the body and discerning yourself, there's no conversation about age requirements or church membership requirements or how much money you just put in the offering plate, right? Paul and, and, and Jesus and the other passages of Scripture aren't concerned with those things. There's two requirements, as far as I can see, in Scripture for approaching the table of the Lord in a worthy manner. And one, and this is the most important thing, is that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The table is for God's people, right? And so if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have put your trust in him as Savior and Lord, that is the number one requirement to come to the table. And the second thing is to discern. So to believe and to discern. And so even as believers, we need to make sure we are doing this in the right way and in the right manner. We need to make sure that we understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And that's why it's important for parents to talk to your kids, no matter how old they are. And make sure that they understand what this is all about. Because if they're not ready, they shouldn't come to the table. But really, it's, it's you as parents that have that responsibility to make sure your kids understand what's going on. So they too can participate when they're ready to do so. And we need to make sure that for ourselves, that we are willing and ready to acknowledge our sin before the Lord. And so in just a moment... I'm going to invite Sharon forward, and actually, why don't you just come forward right now? We're going to have a time to do that together today. As I said before, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, but I think it's important that we put into practice what I just preached about, and that is to make sure that we are approaching the table in a worthy manner, that we've taken time to discern the body of the Lord and to discern ourselves, and so that we are in the right place in our heart and our mind to take the Lord's Supper together this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to pray with me as well. And we're in a time of silence where, where Sharon's going to play a little bit on the keyboard, and, and we're going to have an opportunity to, to just acknowledge our need for the Lord.
before we come to the table together. So I invite you to pray with me. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you have met us here in this place. We thank you, Father, that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And we thank you that that through the power of your spirit, you raised him from the dead and that he is alive and that he has made eternal life available to all who believe in him. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here in this place as well, that it is your work in our hearts and minds that, that draws us to yourself. And so we thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for all that you've done for us. And so it's important now as we prepare our own hearts and minds for the Lord's Supper together that we take time to do what we just talked about. And so we come now and acknowledge who you are, Jesus, and what you did for us. That when we come to the table, we acknowledge that you are our Savior. That, Jesus, you died and rose again in order for our sins to be forgiven. And there is no other way for that to happen besides putting our trust and our faith in you. And so we thank you, God, for sending your son to die for us. But we also must acknowledge our need for you, Lord, that we are sinners in need of a savior. That we have said things and done things and thought things that were not pleasing to you. And we've left things undone that we know we should have done. And so in these next few moments of silence, we invite you to hear our prayers of confession as we acknowledge our sin before you. This is a true and trustworthy saying that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Lord God, we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Just as we would typically do when we are at the church, I'm going to have a moment to... uh, Pray over and speak over the elements, and then we're going to have, we're invite you forward if you're able to come forward. Um, we're also going to have a pair of elders, as usual, to come around and serve you, not in your pews today, but wherever you happen to find yourself. If you're unable to come forward, just try to get their attention as they come around, um, and we will make sure everybody that wants to participate this morning is able to do so. So as we just heard from the scriptures, Paul says, I've received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, to do so in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All you who have received Jesus as your Lord and Messiah, we invite you to take the sacrament to your comfort.
This is the body of Christ, which is broken for you. Feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. And this is his blood, which is shed for you, that your sins would be forgiven. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had this morning to gather around your table. Thank you that when we do so, we remember who you are and what you've done for us in our you. So, Father, as we gather here together, as we end our service of worship, we just pray that your spirit would fill us, equip us, and empower us to live for you from here on out. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand as we close our service in song. As a way of benediction, I'm also going to pray for our meal, um, which is in the shelter house. So as soon as we are done here, we invite you to go and settle in and have a time of 
food and fellowship. Um, also, just want to say can, good job, kids, for not, you know, with the distraction of the bounce house and the playground and the splash pad. You guys did a pretty good job here today. But those are all free game and open as well. So um, let's let's just have a time, transition in a time of fellowship and food and, and enjoying each other's company here this, this afternoon. So let me, let me pray for us and offer a word of benediction. Father, we thank you so much for this day and thank you for the chance now as we have had time to worship and praise you for who you are and what you've done for us, that we now get to move into a time of fellowship and food and enjoying uh, time together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So we thank you for the food. We pray that you bless it to our bodies and bless the time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Come set your rules.